Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Hey, how you doing? Welcome. This is Joe McCall, and you are listening to the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Glad you're here. This is going to be a great episode as usual, but on today's episode, it's going to be a little different here. We got a good guest today, and his name is David Phelps, and we're going to be talking about the big I word, inflation. We're going to be talking about inflation, and it's a big deal. It's a big deal. A lot of things are going on in the economy today, and how are you going to react to it? How are you going to set up yourself or position yourself to be in a place where you can win and not lose. And David is a guy I've known for many years. He's in several masterminds that I've been in. And uh, I've been seeing a lot of his posts lately in Facebook and uh, different social media where he's talking about this stuff and he's got a great new book. And I wanted to bring him on to talk about kind of the state of the economy, where we're at, what do we need to do to be prepared and how do we personally fight inflation for ourselves? And is there anything we can do about it? And if not, how can we position ourselves, our family, our business in a place where um, we can minimize the effects and the impacts. Cool. So it's going to be a great episode. Uh, first, want to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by my brand new land investing class. So as you know, I've talked about it for a long, long time. I'm doing a lot of extra videos now on YouTube about it. Um, but about three or four years ago, my sons and I who were teenagers at the time. They still are, but young teenagers, we started flipping vacant land. And over the course of two or three years, they grossed over about $150,000 in profits. And they got just a small percentage of that. But I started, been doing land deals for a long, long time. And then recently, I've started teaching people how to do land deals as well. So if you want to check out my class, go to simplelandclass.com to check it out, simplelandclass.com. And I think you're going to love it. I give a lot of details on exactly what we do and how we do it. It's kind of like, you know, you buy a lot, buy a rural vacant lot for a thousand bucks, sell it for 8,000 bucks on Facebook Marketplace. I mean, that's pretty much it in a nutshell. Buy cheap rural vacant land for a thousand, few thousand bucks, sell it for a few thousand more, and it's great. And I have a lot of students that are having great success with it, making a lot of money. And if you go to simplelandclass.com, you watch my class on it, and I'm going to have an offer there to basically pay for the course for you and set up your marketing, set up your systems for you. And I have this thing called a business completion challenge where if you complete the class, I'll actually pay you to complete the class. And it's amazing. You're going to love it. And even if you decide not to invest and work with us, that's totally cool. You're going to get a lot out of the class, kind of learn what we're doing. Um, our students are starting to have tremendous success to it for it and everything. So anyway, go to simplelandclass.com. All right, enough of that. Let's bring David Phelps on. David, how are you, sir? Joe, I'm doing great. Uh, you know, I, I kind of want to go to your simple land class. Like, can we go there like right now and just forget this interview? I think that could be kind of fun. I, I mean, certainly I can, but I want to talk. I want to talk about inflation, um, guys. David is one of the smartest, not the the smartest guy that I know talking about these subjects and these topics. Um, he's the guy in the high level masterminds that people go to and like, hey, David. What's going on? What do you see happening? What? Because you've got so much experience, David. You've been in the business for a long, long time, and um, so I, I've been noticing you. I've been reading like every time you post something on Facebook, I'm clicking that "See More" button. You know that "See More" link to to view with all all the content that you write. It's really, really good. And so I, I I sent you a message the other day saying, "Hey, can I get you on the podcast? Let's talk about the economy. What's going on from your perspective, and especially specifically how it affects real estate investors." Um, so that's a, a mouthful, but thanks for being here. Welcome to the show. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, Joe, because I'm going to pay you the same compliment, uh, is that <laughs> you're, well, you're not, you're not old. Uh, I'll take that one. All right. Yeah, but I'll take, I'll take the fact that you are on the forefront of being innovative. And I think if I, if I had to package up where we are in the economy and the marketplace today, I would say innovation is probably the key. Now, no matter what it is, your business, your investing, whatever you like to do, but you've got to be on the forefront and be innovative. And then we can talk about, well, how do you do that? But I think yeah. that would be, that'd be the number one, plant the flag in the ground if you want a strategy or tip. That's my number one. Okay. All right. Good. Nice. So real quick, David, give folks a history of you. Where you know, How did you get into the business? I got into the business when I was uh, in my early 20s. I was, uh, I was actually in college and I was, you know, taking all the courses to become a doctor, which I did do, I became a dentist. I did do that. I fulfilled that. But while I was in that realm, I was 
I think there's a lot of people that are listening today, especially following you. Uh, we're inquisitive people. We're curious, right? Um, we typically don't just keep one channel. We've got like several channels going at one time, and it's like hard to sometimes pick, you know, what you want to do. So, so I was reading books about, you know, being an investor. Well, I didn't have any money back then. I had student loan debt. <laughs> Someday I'll be out of the student loan debt and actually make some money. So why don't I start learning about that? Because I wasn't taking those classes in school. And back in the uh, 70s when I was in college, uh, there weren't really entrepreneurial classes. It was very traditional stuff. So I had to read on my own, find my, you know, self-educate on that. So I was reading books about uh, the traditional stock market, you know, and back then mutual funds had just come into play. And there's a lot of books on that. And, and then I found a few books on on real estate. And when I compared and contrasted the two, to me, just real estate had all the attraction because, well, it was something that was tangible, as we know, uh, that I could insert some level of control over, some level, yeah. um, where as active or passive as, as I might want to be. And of course, when you're early in life, you're going to be active because you don't have any money. I had more time than money. So from those books, I, I took action, which is the key thing, right? Uh, we're all, all have access to tons of information today. And that's like, but you got to do something with it. So uh, I called my friendly banker. Uh, that was my dad. <laughs> I didn't have any banking relationships. I, bank. <laughs> I couldn't have got a loan for anything to save my life back then because I wouldn't make any money. But I called my dad and said, hey, dad, I'm going to be in school here. This, this is dental school now uh, for the next four years. I said, uh, I can either pay rent uh, or we, keywords, we can, can own a property together. Uh, so, you know, kind of a standard, what I call a joint venture uh, today. You know, you, you teach tons of that stuff, right? Uh, you know, what do you bring to the table? Well, I brought time and energy and you know, a willingness to to do the work, right? Uh, and my dad you know, was busy in his own life and career, and he had the money. So we put the money and the, in the in energy and the motivation together. He had to believe in me and trust me that I wouldn't you know, screw it up, right? Uh, yeah. So there's a little bit that goes into a relationship. But we bought this property together, and I did. I did manage it. I managed it for the next four years and uh, exited. And it wasn't it wasn't all luck. I mean, there's always some timing, but uh, but we, we exited and we split about $50,000 in capital gain profits on that house. We sold it. Um, I, I sold it because I wasn't staying in the area. So, you know, I was a hands-on manager back then. And I just figured that was what you do. I didn't know you had 1031 and all the stuff we do today. And that was in the 80s? That was, uh, yeah. I uh, bought it in uh, early 1980 and sold it uh, late in 83. So held it, uh, yeah, held it almost four years. Uh, so that was early 80s. So uh, if you think back, we're talking about, uh, we're talking about, uh, this topic right here, right? Inflation. Yes. Uh, so just to give people a little bit of an idea, 1980, um, the inflation rate was 14.8%, at least uh, in the months that I was you know, buying this house. Uh, and the federal funds rate uh, by then Fed Chairman Paul Volcker, uh, he's the counterpart uh, to uh, Jay Powell today, right? So Fed Volcker, who was brought in under Carter uh, in the, well, Carter was still in, in uh, the administration in the president's seat. Uh, to do to, to what? To fight this nasty inflation that started in the mid-60s and was like piling on, piling on, piling on. And so Carter brought him in in 79. Uh, Carter was out, you know, next year Reagan took over. Reagan kept uh, Volcker in and together they said, we need to control this inflation. So th- there's a mandate. There's a political will. Uh, and it caused a recession. In fact, it caused two, two back-to-back recessions. It wasn't just one. It was two back-to-back. Uh, but Volcker took the federal funds rate uh, up to 20. Yeah, that's Wow. Not not 2.5, not maybe three, like they're talking about that, 20%. Now, I didn't have a clue what that meant. I, I didn't even know what, what was going on in the world. <laughs> I was in this little little box because we didn't have social media. We didn't have Facebook. Uh, we didn't have any smartphones. You know, there's nothing. There's no online. So 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 the news of the day was, uh, was you know, just not plugged in at all. So but actually, it's probably good I didn't know what was going on, right? Because I probably yeah. wouldn't do anything. I probably say, well, this, this sounds scary. It sounds like we're in a recession. I've never heard of a word recession in my life. I didn't know what a recession was. It's just like, let's just go do something. And using the basic fundamentals of what I read in the book about location and you know cash flow above expenses and debt service, I mean, that doesn't change. I mean, yeah. that fundamental doesn't change. I don't care where we are on the market. And that's, the, that's what point I want to bring to people. It's like we're in a, a time zone right now that most of the world, uh, unless you're you know, 55, 60 years old or above, you've maybe heard about inflation stagflation you may have heard about it, but you, you never lived through it and now people are like scared and it's the news and it's clickbait everywhere today and, and you know it's it's like well yeah you have to change your model you got to change course you can't just stay static but it's not a time to be like running for the hills like 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 armageddon and, and the sky's gonna fall it's just it's an opportunity for people who are on the forefront and that's why i get to come back to innovation and and being contrarian and you know, not following the the group think that's out there and everywhere we walk today yeah. And before we get any further into this, this is a great 
topic, obviously, right now in these times. Uh, you have your book available at inflationbook.com, and it looks like it's a it's an invitation to get your book, uh, the hardcover, complimentary. Just pay three ninety five shipping and handling, so it's free. Just pay basically, shipping. Basically free. Just yeah, we'll just pick up some of our hard costs and get them out to you. That's it. Nice. All right, good. So go to inflationbook.com right now to get this book from David. I mean, you're going to be glad you did. I bought it, um, and I'm looking forward to reading it. Okay, so Dave, um, talk about like, so in, back then in the 80s, inflation was a problem, you're saying for a dozen years. I mean, going back to the- Started, started really in the 70s. mid-60s, yeah. Yeah, it, you know, it started at, you know, 6.5. Well, um, you know, we're a little, well, based on the, Current government measurement. Now we could talk about that a long time, but sure. you know, whatever, you, whatever, you, it's 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 running high today. Yeah, and it was ramping up. And uh, now for different reasons, for different reasons than we have today, we can talk about what's going on today and what you know what. But the why is is not is, is kind of academic. It's like what do you yeah. do with it, right? So, uh, but but yeah, we had we had uh, back in the '60s and '70s uh, under uh, Carter, Nixon, um, and uh, um, Gerald Ford. We had a uh, very accommodative Fed chairman. So this is before Volcker. So uh, uh, Arthur Miller and, and Burns, um, they were they were very you know we call them dovish. So they were of this um, this can, can, uh, Keynesian monetary policy where you know you can spend your way to you know to to get out of problems. And we still have a lot of that hanging on today. And there's a lot of uh, politicians and economists out there that still believe that you can spend your way. And we've seen the we've seen what's happened with that. Uh, and, and again, it's, it's both sides of the aisle. I'm not being uh, Political here. I'm just saying, you know, it started with Trump with COVID, and and you know, we started just you know throwing money, digitally printing money, extending credit, expanding credit like crazy, like we've never done before uh, in this last you know two years when uh, COVID started in the spring of 2020, and all this money pumped into a system where basically everything was shut down globally. Everything was shut down, so we got all this money coming to the system and no production going on. Um, it's just a supply and demand. That's that's econ 101, right? Supply and demand, uh, and and it's, there's just too much there. To not have inflation, so inflation, you know, started to rear its ugly head a little over a year ago. I think April of 2021, where we started to see it started to tick a little bit, right? It starts to tick, 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 and uh, you know, Powell and everybody wants to play games and say, "Well, this is it's transitory. It's just uh, don't don't worry about that. It's just nothing to be seen." And here we are now, you know, deep into 2022, uh, and inflation, you know, continues to run pretty unabated. Um, and my personal opinion is that. It's not going to be easy fight if the fight is to control inflation. I mean, something something has to give in the system. There is this. There's no such thing as a soft landing that they're talking about. Oh, we'll have a soft landing. We can. We can. We, they've never done it before. The Fed's never had a quote soft landing on anything. It's either you know over overcorrect to one side, which they did with the stimulus. So they just and quantitative easing, which is another topic we don't have to get into today. But all this basically, it's just expanding credit, uh, and it's it's fiat currency. So. You expand credit like that, and then the value of the purchasing power of the dollar starts to drop, and so everything goes up. Financial market asset bubbles, financial markets, real estate, businesses, multiples, EBITDA. I mean, PE, private equity. I mean, it's just you know, it's just here's here's the bottom line, Joe. Is interest rates are a measurement of risk? Well, they should be. They should be. Except we have markets that are manipulated by the Fed. So when the Fed has managed to keep interest rates down. And throw all this money at the wall, then you don't have true markets. So when money's cheap, you, me, anybody else in business or or Wall Street, it's like, well, if money's so cheap, I can take some chances. Can I not? I could take some chances because it's so cheap. It's just almost almost free, almost free. And a lot of the money actually was free. You didn't have to pay it back. It's almost free. And so if that's the case, then that distorts the markets because interest is supposed to be a measurement of risk. In in, in a free market economy, interest rates would not be where they are today. They'd be at least probably, you know, five, six percent. That's kind of been the average over over decades. And we've kept them suppressed. So you're gonna have asset bubbles and then you're gonna have inflation. And now they're trying to fight it back and it's it's turning the economy, you know, upside down right now. I'm not trying to be the forecaster because I don't have a, a better crystal ball than anybody. I wouldn't pretend to be, but I think it's a time where you have to hedge. You just have to hedge your bets because there's too many variables out there for any one person. I don't care how well qualified they are in economics. Or making predictions, there's too many variables out there for anybody to take any long game. I mean, we could basically just go out a few weeks and see what's happening there. But to take a long game stance, go, well, here's where it's going. No way, no way, no way you can do that. So have you ever looked at okay, what is worst case, best case, probable yeah. case scenario in the next yeah. year? Yeah, and, and, and you know, understand, I I am not a pessimist. 
Uh, I'm not a fear monger at all. I, I have I have no agenda except I just I I have a responsibility to certain people that follow me, and I, I take the responsibility for real. Uh, so I I just try to speak what's in my heart, but but I'm more of a realist. So I I'm I don't dwell on on negativity, but I just realize that yes, things could get could get bad. Um, how bad? Well. I mean, I think we could at least go back and have a recession of the level that we had in 2008 to 2012. I think it could go to that level. Uh, that would be kind of a, a worst case scenario. Could it even go worse than that? Well, of course, anything can happen, but I, you know, that's about as deep as I need to go there. Uh, on the other side, you know, could, could they kick the can down the road further? See, I think that's all we've been doing, Joe. So I think if you want to say what's the positive side, well, it's like they kick it down the, they, if they have the ability, that's where, that's where I think the problem is I don't know they have the ability to do that, where we are with so many different variables that they, they can't control. I'm talking about the Fed now. But we could kick the can down the road and we could, you know, maybe delay the day of reckoning one more time. But the longer we delay the day of reckoning, which means to get back to fundamentals and economics and, and, and turn off the free money spigot, the longer we go without dealing with what needs to be dealt with, um, the harder the falls will be. Well, just think about your own personal business or your own personal lifestyle. If, if somebody said, Hey, Joe or David, um, you know, I know, I know you, you, maybe you're going through a little bit of tough times or you'd like to expand your, your business or your lifestyle. Hey, here's an open line of credit. Don't, don't worry about paying it back. Well, we'll get to that later. You know, <laughs> right now it's, it's, it's okay. Just use it as you need to. Well, see, that's the, that's what we're running on. And the U S can do that to an extent because we have the reserve currency, the dollars reserve currency. And, and that's what we've kind of planted our flag on all these years. But eventually, Eventually, and I'm not saying when, um, that may not hold true. And when that day comes where, where the global economy is no longer relying solely as much as it does today on the dollar, um, now, now all bets are off. Now we could be just like, um, uh, Argentina, Venezuela. We could be a, a third world all day long. Now, again, when that happens, if it happens, I'm not here to, to dwell on that, but this is the problem that this country sits on and the politicians, as we know, um, don't care about the long game. So not, we're not going to get any help there. The only thing that changes is, is I don't know, Joe, I, I should probably stop and shut up and let you ask questions. Well, no, this has been really, really good. And I think about this because I remember back in the 80s, there was a book by a guy, I forget his name, I'll look it up here in a second. But it was called The Coming Economic Earthquake, Larry Burkett. Do you remember that book? Oh, yeah, 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 I do, I do. Larry Burkett, and I, I think it was mid late 80s when that book was written. And he was warning of these same things that were that are going on now. And um, I remember at the time, everybody's kind of panicking and freaking out. Like, oh my gosh, the end of the world is here. And um, but then Clinton became president, and it was eight of the some of the most prosperous years yeah. we've ever had with Clinton in office. Right? I mean, I don't know all the details at the time, but he balanced the budget for the first well, time. Well, yeah, 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 you know, I mean, number one, Joe. It, we weren't nearly as divisive as we are in this country today. Sure. Yes, there, there were two sides of the aisle. There's, you know, there's Republicans, and Democrats. If you want to start there, yeah. uh, but 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 th there wasn't there wasn't so much uh, divisiveness. And so they Clinton, to his credit, uh, was a very amiable uh, guy who could. I mean, let me look at him today. He's charismatic as all get out. So when you have those, and, and Reagan was too. I mean, uh, I'm not saying one of them were like the best ever because there's no such thing, but. Those kind of leaders are the ones that can build some consensus, and and we're not we're you know, they're, they're all power driven to an extent. So I can't say that, but yeah, but, but 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 I think they they I think there was a let's put it this way: there was more of a fundamental um, understanding that um, that there 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 had to be some kind of um, economics. You know, we had Nixon take us off the gold standard, and that you know that's that's part of this whole ball to unravel, right? And so I think they were trying to the best they could um, to 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 bring some fundamental sense to everything, but that's all out the door now. I mean, yeah, because I was thinking about that book, you know, kicking the can down the road. I mean, Larry Burkett at that time when he wrote that book was was talking about the dangers in the economy and the numbers that he was using at that time are like, at the time looked really huge. But when you compare them to where we are now, minuscule, it's minuscule, it's nothing. Yeah. And so I'm just wondering like, how much longer can a government and the Fed, you know, kick this can down the road but, you know, I guess we could talk about the problem all day long, yeah. right? But, David, I think a lot of people are wondering, what can I do yeah. right now to protect my family, to to prosper and thrive? And is this a good time to run to the hills and hide? Should I buy some 10-acre lot of, plot of land and, and bug out, you know? Or what, what are you telling people now? Well, 
um, I, I, I know like you do, I know people that have done the bug out <laughs> are people I respect, you know, it's, it's okay. That's, that's not me. Uh, and probably not for a lot of people that have families and kids. Uh, I mean, yeah, you can, you can pull that off and maybe that's a good way to go, but no, I think for like, you know, kind of more mainstream is, is there's always new opportunities every time there's you know some kind of chaos and disruption and the more chaos and disruption, the more uncertainty, the more people that's are, uh, more people are afraid the more opportunities. So, you know, just, just like, just like you, um, you know, in, in, in real estate, you know, you've always been, um, a leader in ahead of like what's coming next and where the opportunities. I mean, that's, that's what you teach. You've always been there. And I think we've been talking on some of the threads and some of our mastermind groups. Uh, just that fact is, is that some of the, uh, we call them old school, uh, you know, techniques, if you will, um, you know, yeah. control that ownership. I mean, lease options. I mean, you've taught that for a long time, but those things that haven't been so prevalent in recent years, while well, money's so cheap, I mean, credit was wide open. Well, you don't really need that. It's more a game of, 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 of marketing and, 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 you know, cash, you know, the first one with cash will get the deal. I mean, let's see, that's going to change. That's going to change. So that's why it opens up opportunities for those of you who are sitting there listening to this right now and thinking, this sounds scary. No, no, no. Actually, it's, it's a time for you to thrive because everybody who's been in the game in the last 10, 10 years, the last decade of low, low cost, cheap, cheap capital, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's turning. It's turning right now as we speak, which means new problems to solve in different ways. So it's like, it's like just, um, just scrap the current uh, board game, scrap it, you know, just the, the, the game of life, the monopoly, just throw it up in the air and new pieces, new rules, and you get to actually devise some of the rules. What an opportunity that is. Yeah. But you know, you have to, I think the key thing for most people, Joe, and this is why again, why why you and I are in different different parts of uh, different masterminds, find a tribe, find people. And this takes some work. If you're if you're young, younger and listen to this and you're just kind of getting started, um, no, you you're not you can't just jump in and play at a high level. It's the investment's gonna be maybe more you can do, but there's places where you can jump in at your level. Find the people, find the Joe McCalls. And again, I'm not just saying this because Joe has, has been on my podcast. I've known Joe for a lot of years. Joe and other people we run with are people I would refer anybody to if they had something that they were, could teach or teach a group of people that, that were in that place in life where they, they wanted to, to grab hold and make the most of the opportunities. You've got to find those people who've been there, done that. You can lead you through the forest. Otherwise, you're just going to get bumped and bruised. Uh, and you know, Maybe you're young and time's on your side, but why why expend all that time and negative energy when someone could at least put some bumpers, some guardrails on so you're not, you know, veering out of control? That's the key thing in life. And if I would have found the right people early in life, I could have resolved some of the bumps and bruises that I have. Uh, no regrets because those lessons are great. You never forget yeah. them. But yeah. so I think I think you want to be on the forefront and realize that there's great opportunities. Now, people listening, they, you may have a business of some kind, and probably a lot of people here are involved. In real estate, uh, either they're full on in a business, they're starting up, they've been with it for a few years, and they're seeing the change in the market. Maybe real estate is a side gig for you. Maybe you have a, a different uh, business or, or a career path, in it, but you want to get involved in real estate, which I think is a good thing. So either way, find the right people, find where you can plug in with the time and capacity you have, and and this is a time to thrive. Hmm. This is a time to thrive. So that's why I start with with that group of people. Yeah, that's smart. Surround yourself with people that know what's going on. All day long. And and the great thing about real estate that I love is that it's it doesn't change on a dime like the stock market does or cryptocurrency does, right? Yeah. It's like you can spot the trends in advance. Like already we're seeing, just the other day I saw you post this um, yesterday, I think on Facebook, some uh, more huge mortgage company in Dallas, Texas, just, uh, just fired ninety percent and then yeah. declared bankruptcy, right? Um, so we're starting to see the the trends right now of lower mortgage applications, right? Um, we're starting to see mortgage companies fire people. We're starting to see large brokerages fire people. Companies like Redfin are laying a ton of people off, right? Um, so we're starting to see the trend change. Talk a little bit about, this is important for a lot of wholesalers in my community, um, hedge funds. What happened to them? Where are they now? Is it, what, what's going on with that? Yeah, well, again, hedge funds uh, took the opportunity in front of them, cheap capital, Go go play all day long, and of course, with with cheap capital, which also means low yields on interest returns. Uh, if you're in the you know interest or yield bearing business, which is like Wall Street and hedge funds, um, then with the kind of more standard traditional risk averse um, places to go, which would be like bonds, right? Uh, well, the bond market we've been you know a falling interest rate uh, cycle for the last forty years, so you can't get any yield there. So with cheap money, though, then then 
hedge funds can play in markets they haven't played before. Um, real estate, you know, really started coming on well, you know, in the last decade, coming out of 2008, but we've seen more and more piling on, right? I can yeah. say the same thing for my industry, healthcare. I mean, big plays, big, massive private equity plays in the healthcare consolidation, rolling up um, what used to be several practices. Uh, I mean, medicine itself has been basically rolled over. Uh, but like in my industry of dentistry and vet- veterinary medicine and optometry and some of those, they're still a little bit more siloed. But but they're rolling those up right now. Well, why? Why would you Why would you want to put money into something that has so many moving parts as healthcare or even real estate? I mean, let's face it, um, we've all managed some property and now you have hedge funds going to come in and buy huge portfolios. Well, is that easy to do? No, we know it's not. It's not easy. But again, if the money that they're using to acquire is so dirt cheap, they don't have to have a very big spread. Yeah, uh, you know, in profit um, to to make it roll, especially when you're talking about billions of dollars. A two point spread on a billion dollars is frankly that's a lot of money. <laughs> well, not not counting even the tax benefits and the deductions, oh, the depreciation that you get. Yeah. So so this is why we've had you know a lot of money in the last decade, particularly running into real estate because it's been a good play, cheap money. Now start changing the dynamics of the cost of capital. You know, interest rates going up, and again, I I believe that. Powell and the Fed are kind of mandated to at least through September, like in a quarter three. You know, after that, you know, I'm not going to say they, they claim they're going to keep rolling interest rates up at 50 to 75 basis points through the end of the year. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see how strong the mandate. But, but even, you know, doing it for the next two quarters, um, it, it's not so much that, well, it only went up, David, by, you know, half a point or three quarters of a point. It's the relative increase. When you started, it, basically, we started zero, zero. So zero to one point. I mean, that's massive. It's, it's 100% increase. Yeah, 100%. It? Going from 5% to 6%, okay, nice to see. So that's the difference people don't understand. Well, that's not very much, is it? No, it's a, it's a tremendous amount when you're going 100% or 200% or 300%. It's a massive change. And so the, the capital markets you know, work off of, of, of arbitrage in interest rates. So if, if, if their cost of capital is changing like like every, every three weeks or four weeks, um, then how can they stick the landing on that? And they've already, well, they and other people have pushed the, the asset prices way up here. So when the cost of capital is going up and the prices up here, where's your arbitrage? So now they're looking now. So again, big money now is looking to go, well, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. Things are changing here. Is there a safer place to still make the spread we want? And is real estate still the best game in town? And again, I'm not speaking for them as a whole here. I'm saying that's that's how I would look at it. Is, is real estate right now, or is it a month from now? Is it still the best game in town? If it's not, guess what? The money moves. They they they're not like us. You know, if I've got a portfolio of rental properties, I can't just like sell them and take a 20% haircut just because I want to like take my marbles and go play another game. I can't quite do that. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, but they can. They play in big money and. And so there's some shifting going on right now, right? And I, I brought the point that, uh, again, it's not a massive play, but but there's some shifting of some of the hedge funds. Some are looking to sell off some por- other portfolio. Well, there's who's going to buy? Well, it's got to be another hedge fund. Well, why are they buying? Well, I can't say. I'm not inside their boardrooms. Uh, but see, nobody, that's what I'm saying. Nobody has a play on where the market's going. Everybody's trying to guess. And what so there's think- market. There's always buyers and sellers. And that's yeah. what makes the market, right? I mean, that's always what makes a market. Somebody thinks it's time to buy and somebody thinks it's time to sell. Yeah. And we never know who's right. <laughs> we'll find out in time, but right. But that's the guessing game. Well, we've seen, you know, in our own business, hedge funds backing out of deals, walking away from $5,000 earnest money deposits. And they're, you know, you, you have, they have a contract to buy this house. You, they're saying, go ahead and sue us. That's We're right. not going to close on it. Right. Right. But um, so they've, they've stopped buying. Majority of them have. Um, what, any clue or idea of what they're doing with their current existing inventory? Are they going to keep it for? F- 10 years or they well, that's, yeah, that's, that's a good guess, Joe. And I, I don't have insight or inside info to, to say what, what they're going to do there. I think that's, that's anybody's guess. Um, you know, the, I guess, you know, if they're thinking in terms of the overall market, they're going to hold, um, that, that would probably make more sense if they, if they can maintain, because once somebody starts dumping, then we know that's a domino effect. So if enough starts to get dumped, then the, the, the further spirals down and then everything starts to, you know, I think nobody really wants to see that. It's not healthy at all. That's that's too much correction, right? Um, just to have them stop buying, if they could do that and hold on to their inventory, that's probably would be like the best best situation for the whole market overall, right? Sure. And then just let things you know build out from there. But yeah, if they started dumping, I think there would be uh, a downward spiral that we couldn't pull back. Which will be interesting because if housing prices start falling, that's going to be real interesting because then these hedge funds might say, yeah, maybe we need to sell some of this inventory we have before prices drop any further. Which could then just exasperate the problem. That's um, the problem, and and you know the, the the first one, you know, it's like it's like 
everybody, everybody will sit back and say, we're, we're not selling, we're not selling, but, but there's always going to be somebody. <laughs> Somebody's going to say, we're going to be the first one and we're, we're going to take a small haircut because we can take the haircut and we can move our money somewhere else where we can make that up. Well, if you're last, you know, down the middle or, de- or down the line in that, it's like, well, then you got stuck. You just, it's like musical chairs, you know, you don't want to be the last one uh, uh, when the music stops and you have no chair to sit on. And that always happens to somebody. Late yeah, it, it, and it's a few old white guys <laughs> with in suits in a boardroom in New York that make yeah. that decision. Yeah, and it's just a it's a simple little decision they'll make. Um, all right, so again, guys, get David's book, inflationbook.com. It's free. Just pay four bucks for shipping and handling. It's a real book. It's called How to Outwit the Fed and Their Extraction of Your Wealth. Uh, the inflation problem we have is the silent retirement killer. And so David goes into deep detail in this book, explaining what the problem is and what we can do to fight it. Um, Because it's, you know, I love this analogy too, David, you talk about this, wealth doesn't disappear, it transfers. And it just doesn't magically vaporize and it's gone. It goes places and it goes from here to there. And this is why it's so important, like you said, to stay in a network and mastermind of other investors, because then you can see where that wealth is transferring to. So Maybe you've already answered this, but where do you see the money transferring to? What are you telling people to invest in or to look at now? Well, yeah, I I I didn't say where where the where the money's going. What I mean, what I what I look for is is in the markets that I have some knowledge about or access to. So, like for me personally, uh, I mean, I know the dental industry really well, so I could watch see what happens there. And, And and if I were game on, I could probably pick up dental practice as assets uh at a discount. That's not my game, but it could be. My game is really what we're talking about is real estate. I mean, that's I love real estate. I've always loved it. And so, so being plugged into a network, number one, I don't have to I don't have to know everything in every market. Well, number one, I couldn't. You know, I can know my market, which I is, is is outside of Dallas, Texas. So I know my market, I know the players here, but there's so many different um, as we know, so many different access points to different asset classes and the geography, every market's different. The more access points you have, and that, that's really leveraging your network. So knowing people in different places, as the market starts to change, then we get first-line information. I mean, we in our mastermind groups, we get first-line information. We know what's happening. And for those where we can uh, create some kind of a collaboration, kind of like I did with my dad back in 1980, okay, same thing. Um, everybody brings something to the table. And so you build those joint ventures where you can profit with a synergy of working with other people. I hate trying to do anything myself today. And I think I know you're a fan of that too, Joe. Why 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 do you need to do the whole thing or whatever it is? I mean, yeah. I'll take participations and cuts with a lot of different ways, different people. I'm diversified, gives me lots more opportunities. Uh, and I get to actually do what I love to do most. And you know, today it's not outdoor knocking or 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 marketing. I mean, I'm a fan of marketing. I mean, you you're a great marketer and I love marketing, but I don't want to be the one pressing those buttons. I just who who but who does it well? Oh. Joe McCall. Well, what's what's what, what's what's his access points? Well, he's got you know access points here, here, here. Gee, Joe, I'm just making this up, but Joe, um, you know, you think there might be an opportunity to, for me to bring some capital into what you're doing? Well, I think so, David. We'll, we'll we'll find exactly where that where that where that point is, and boom, let's let's go to work. Well, there you go. There's a collaboration right in front of you. Okay. All right. Let's get a little more practical then. Let's talk about um, the, the fundamentals. The buy box. Yeah. Is shifting right, and so like even back in the '80s. You could still, with interest rates as high as they were and inflation as bad as it was, you could still cash flow on deals, yeah. right? So for you and you're in your own real estate investing, David, and what you teach other people, like what are what's the buy box that people need to be trying to stay into, and how is that changing over the last year? Yeah, let's let's just let's just keep it very basic at single family rental because it applies across the board. Yeah. So let's just keep it there. So yeah, the buy box for me is cash flow. <laughs> Yeah. Cash flow number one. Um, no, nothing wrong with buying land. Okay, but but you can buy land and turn it into cash flow. I know that's what you do. So yeah, yeah. it's the same thing. So 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 for me, what's the cash flow going to look like? So to your point. Um, you know, the mortgage that my dad acquired utilized to finance eighty percent of the house we bought. It was like thirteen and a half percent. Well, today, what are you going to buy with thirteen and a half percent on any kind? Of, well, it's not going to work. Why? Because there's a lag time. There's a lag time. But in in time, if interest rates continue to stay or go up, well then. Asset prices across the board are going to start to come down. All right, we just got to wait till they come down to the right point. If you're using, you know, the capital markets, whatever the rate is, is five percent, six percent, seven percent. But there'll be a time where, where, as you said, real estate slowly falls, but it, it'll even out. So the house we bought at thirteen and a half percent interest rate back in 1980, uh, we bought for like eighty-three thousand dollars, and it rented for like nine hundred bucks a month. Okay, 
So quickly, I can do the math. Uh, I know what my expense ratio is. And I realized that, you know, there, that we had a spread. What's my cash flow spread above all normal expenses, expense ratio, uh, and my debt service, whatever that debt service is. And if that makes sense, and there's a margin there that's uncomfortable with, and I, I kind of stick a number, it's going to vary from market to market, but I like $300 per month in cash flow. If I've got that there, then I know I can take, you know, I can weather a little bit of downturn if things get soft, but I'm still in the game. I can play the long game. So I think that's the most fundamental is cash flow. All the other great benefits we know about real estate, that's just like icing on the cake. Yeah. So you just, you take all of those and add them together. And real estate for me will always be the number one asset to invest in for both creation of wealth uh, and preservation of wealth. Well, let's talk about rents. Um, one good thing with inflation, maybe if you look at yeah. it, uh, I, I, I'm sorry if I'm being uh, insensitive. Good thing about rents uh, from a landlord's perspective, right, is rents go up. Yes. Um, is, that can be a good thing, I guess, if you're if you own real estate. Uh, do you see that slowing down at all? Or yeah, yeah, I do. I think I think um, because the you know, it's really about the affordability, whether whether it's rents or people paying their mortgage, but affordability at some point. Uh, we stretch the American consumer as far as they can go. And I think we're still in a lag period after a lot of the COVID stimulus, the unemployment benefits uh, that were, you know, that were stimulated out and, and people you know, stayed home for a while. And so actually, you know, the savings rate went up for a while. So, so Americans had more money, you know, in, in their hands. And, and therefore, even as things started to open back up again, uh, and even with interest rates, you know, starting to go up, um, people were still so able to buy. But, um, so, but yeah, there's a point where the affordability index, we're just going to cap out in different markets. It's different because the average you know, wages in every market is going to be different. But you have to kind of know what that is in your market. Uh, and if if the hedge funds, as we know, are slowing down, stopping their buying, realize that they've been in, in not all areas. And again, you have to know your area, but in areas where they've been very strong buyers on the margin, that's what's really lifted those asset prices up. So if they pull back, you know, asset prices come down, uh, and we don't know how that how that inventory is going to get managed, what's going to happen to it, but that could also cause a softening in rents more so in those markets than a market where the hedge funds haven't been as big a player and you've been more reliant yeah. on what the actual e- economics are of that area. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so what do you see in areas like Miami and Florida, for example, Vegas, um, yeah. San Diego, LA, where you're starting, you see a lot yeah. of, you're going back to the, a lot of pre construction. Mm-hmm. Condos and and mm-hmm. a lot of speculation. Uh, do you think investors are going to get burnt there, or is there still an opportunity there? Uh, I I think uh, if, if if investors are still paying, you know, the going run rate, uh, they they can get burnt in those areas. I think I get that speculation in those markets. Um, yeah, you mentioned um, not everywhere in Florida, but there's certain pockets in Florida that I think are definitely overvalued. Um, uh, you can go all you know go all, you know West Coast for sure. Um, you know, in, in Boise and uh, Salt Lake City, Provo, Utah, Denver, um, yeah. Austin, Nashville, Texas. I mean, yeah, Nashville. I mean, yeah, those those mar- the markets that have had the greatest lift in the last two years since COVID. I think um, again, you have to still have to look at the fundamentals. So I'm speaking still somewhat broadly, but they have the most potential, I believe, for asset price decline and potential softening of the, of the rent market, softening or at least you know, softening meaning. Maybe it, it, it slows down. There's there's still going to be some some upward demand for the rest of this year. I don't, it doesn't stop like that in real estate. Like you said, it, things trend. We have time to watch it. We have time to see it see it move. But I think expecting rents to keep going up as they have in the last two years, no, I don't see that. So if you're advising somebody who's looking to put some money into real estate, are you telling them um, avoid high end, high end, uh, you know, luxury class A I apartments, would. real estate? Uh, are you telling them to focus in on the lower, cheaper stuff or in the middle? Yeah, in the middle. Uh, yeah, I don't want to be on either end of the spectrum. Uh, high end certainly works when uh, when the market's humming, right? And so, so, but I, right now, if I was high end, I'd be like shifting gears. I think I've talked to a lot of people who are. Uh, low end um, is, um, it, it looks like a good cash flow play on paper, but <laughs> we know what that looks like. Right? In real, real Even life. Section 8? <laughs> Would you do you Section know, 8? You know, I, I you know, I, a lot of people like Section Eight because it's it's government backed, right? Um, I don't I don't like to be I this is me personally. I don't like to be tied into anything the government does. Um, I just I don't. Uh, I know Section Eight's been you know a, a strong 
benchmark, um, and a lot of people love it. So you, I think you gotta, you gotta choose. I'm not telling anybody here what to do. I just, I'd rather be free of the government. I don't want. There's just danger with the government. Can I just say that? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, there's just a little bit of danger when you play ball with the government uh, in any regard. So I, I don't like that. But no, you don't want to be at the at the bottom of the stack. I mean, I mean, certainly those properties uh, you, you can typically buy in any market for for, for cheaper uh, because like not everybody wants them in the. The, the institutional finance or financial institutions don't don't lend there. So I just like to be in that kind of blue collar, you know, market that's strong yeah. with people that, uh, in fact, you know, blue collar workers are, have the most stable positions right now than anybody. White collar is actually, you know, more, um, yeah. I see more sense of instability. So good blue collar that, that have good jobs and neighborhoods that are, you know, that, that you just, can we just go back to American family values? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good school districts. Most neighborhoods. Uh, because look, they, there's always a demand for those. Um, yes, you might have some people that are living there today that may have to drop down or double up. They will do that, but certainly there's always people that will trickle down to those if they've been living a little bit higher, higher level. Oh. They'll come down. You've always got a market there. Always got a market for those. Houses. So right now we have this huge discrepancy between supply and demand, and that's been that way for a few years. Um, do you see that leveling out a little bit, or if, yeah. if the government were to say, "Hey, we want to help fix this problem," and not, not <laughs> I'm not a big fan of government fixing anything, but is there anything the government maybe could do to help the supply, like to incentivize builders to build more blue collar homes, right? Well, I mean, the government, yeah, they can always do that. If, if that's if that's their agenda, it, it, you know, but who knows what goes behind those uh, those those doors with uh, with all the cigar smoke. Um, that, yeah. that's, that's, that's where that's where that's where the real agenda happens, right? They can they can blow smoke out here to us all day long about what what they're trying to do to save save America and save the the, the system. Um, but yeah, I mean, certainly we've always used you know uh, tax incentives, you know, in this country forever since we've had you know the uh, the, the, the tax 1913 um, Federal Tax Act you know came out. So yes, they they could do a lot of things to do that. Um, but I just get a sense it's just my sense that that powell that fed chairman is feeling um volkerish paul volker i think he i think you know people like that that are there i think he just i think people like that want to make a name for themselves um you know i'm not saying the bad way i mean you know he wants to make a name for himself he wants he wants to leave there because he doesn't need money he doesn't need anything he's, he's well set like he's just he just likes being the power broker that he is right I and mean, that's part that's part of the game sorry and I think so. I think he really wants to push hard. So um, I don't. I think. I think they. I think. I think to some extent. Yeah, I don't know what's in Biden's head. I don't want to say, but you know, people around Biden. I think they. I think they. They want to tamp the brakes on inflation. They'd like to just tamp the brakes a little bit. See, that's their whole thing. Let's just tamp the brakes. Let's let's just pump the brakes a little bit here. Well, that doesn't work. So I don't think they're going to incentivize anything in the short run. Now, end of this year, things start crashing more. Yeah, they they'll probably pull out everything they can, and who knows what they're going to do with that. And it's, but it's always too little, too late, or it's or it's too much, too late, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, we look at it, it's in, and and so there's a lot of inventory in the pipeline. Um, but is it in like the affordable starter housing? No, not so much. I mean, I mean, I don't. People that are trying to buy their first homes, so it's it's extremely difficult right now. I mean, that's where that's where the biggest base of renters are because they can't, uh, mm-hmm. they can't. They can't make that move. They they don't have the down payment money, and and things just keep going higher and higher. So, um, yeah, it's anytime you have the the, the free markets are interfered with, which they are all the time. Um, we're always going to have this big seesaw. It's a big seesaw now, right? It's not just little iterations. It's it's massive, and so I think that's why you've got to be on the forefront of your business model, your sector, your investments, and you've got to see where where these things are going. And again, you can't place a hundred percent bet on anything on any horse here, but You've, you just you've got to hedge a little bit, you know, and 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 that's what I try to do. I try to hedge and stay. I stay diversified, like everything real estate in some business. Okay, um, so, so diving dive into that in a little more detail here, real quick though, guys. Uh, inflationbook.com. Get David's book for free. Just pay a little bit of shipping and handling. I'll send it out oh, to you. Yeah. So 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 hedging for me, you know, we know in real estate, um, and and really in, in all the financial markets, um, you know, it's what we call a capital stack. It's in the book. Uh, capital stack just means uh, there's there's equity plays as an investor. And you can play in the in the debt part of the capital stack, which means means lending money. It's being a bank, right? Uh, well, in real estate and in business, you can play either side or both, um, or you can do hybrids of the same. So, so it's like equities are always great when the market's like running up. Like the last ten years, you know, equities have been awesome place to be in just about anything uh, that made sense. Because now, when, when you say equities, you mean ownership. stock market? 
Well, no, I'm, I'm talking about stock market. I'm talking about real estate. I mean, equity, okay. equities in real estate is owning the rental property. Okay, okay. Equity is, is being made part of a syndication that owns the self-storage facility. So that's equity. So, okay. that, so that's had a great run-up. Now, there's, there's more risk in the equity market in general. In general, if you've got access points, there's always good place. But in general, there's more risk in the equity market. So speaking of real estate or the stock market, there's just more risk there right now. Why? Because the capital markets are changing. When the cost of capital goes up, the equity markets start, you know, to have to figure it out. And typically profit margins do what? They get squeezed. Well, that brings values down. Okay. So, so I might play, well, I actually do play more or invest more, uh, in the debt part of the, of the stack where I'm actually lending money more. I've been lending money really more the last two or three years. Um, but I still have plays on both sides. So that's my hedge. If I lend money, I get to kind of call the shots. Um, I'm not lending money at, you know, 100% of what I consider value. I can decide where, where to place my bet and on what horse, right? So when I lend money, I'm not the operator. I'm lending to an operator. Well, what do I know about that operator? What do, what do I know about the asset class? What do, what do I know about, um, about you know, you know his, his geographic uh, economics? Those are the things that I learn about, not because I'm so smart, but because I spend time in rooms and masterminds with other people that I get to meet firsthand and get that in, inside intel. It's an insider's game. This is an insider's game. Stock market, no. Real estate, big insider's game. Get on the inside. That's how you know. That, re- that reminds me back in 06, well, when the market started crashing, 07, 08, 09, um, it became, it switched from a seller's market to a buyer's market. And a lot of guys that we know that were doing really well at the time were the hard money lenders, were the guys that were offering transactional money, right. more creative type of financing. Right. So do you see that akin coming? Yeah. And, and, and so how does the average Joe Blow investor like me um, get more into the involved with the debt side of the business? So, so I, I did some of that uh, coming out of 2008, you know, Great Recession. Um, you know, I, I have limited amount of capital to invest. I've always been an investor, so I've had capital investments. But as, as the market opened up uh, coming out of the 2008 Great Recession, I'm talking about uh, 2011, 12, 13, 14, 15, especially in the early years, there still wasn't any financing. And all the buyers that would have been buying and investing up until 2007 and 8, gone, 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 yeah. gone. They're like, like, they're like licking their wounds, right? So, so, but it's a cash market. You, 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 know, you don't have time. So, and, but the deals were plentiful. So, oh, yeah. what I, so what I do? Well, I know some people, you know, because again, I spend time, you know, with people. I, I kind of, I like good people and people that actually have money but don't have the access to the deal flow that I have. Uh, so that's a key. So if you've got access, you're with a group or you make your own market in your area because you're lead generating and you've got a team of some level and you can find the good deals. There's tons of money out there. People that are, that don't want to be in the game actively, but with just, boy, I want to get my money out of the market, the stock market. How can I get involved in real estate? Oh, lending money is the simplest, safest way for them to start out with. Simplest, safest way. And Look, you don't have to offer them 10%. I mean, today, probably six, seven, mm. oh, maybe 8%. I mean, you're going to get a ton of money. There's, and of course, there's many myriad of ways to structure those things so everybody's happy. Um, but that's how I would tell young people or people that are looking at this market is the money's always there. Just figure out who you are in the game. I mean, are you active? Or do you have access to deal flow either through yourself or through people you know? Um, if you have that, You've got an asset right there in your hands that you should be monetizing. If you're on the other side and you're, you already have a business, you don't have the time, but you've got some money that otherwise you'd be sticking in a 401k, which I think is ridiculous. Find, find the, the young guy in your, in your, in your area. Go to the real estate association meetings or meetup groups. You got to do some work. You got to do some work. I mean, relationships, um, take some time, don't they, Joe? I mean, you got to, it's frogs, but, but if you're, if you're in this to do it, some of the best time you'll spend is building relationships, connections, building a network. It is worth everything. In fact, I would say today, it's my best insurance policy ever. That's very good. Very good advice. The, um, um, I was going to say too, this, this is important and we'll wrap it up here in a second. Uh, if you're a wholesaler and you're just the, you're the guy going out there getting the deals, uh, I think it's really important adding on to what you're saying, David, to find, when you sell your deals, find a way to offer financing with the yeah. deals. Whether it's hard money, private money, um, maybe you, if you're networking, you've got a network because these guys who are buying these homes, they still want to buy more, but they are losing a lot of their sources of money yes. by those deals. So if you can, as a deal maker, as a rainmaker, bring them yes. the deal, but also the financing, 
in place. Maybe it's a small little local bank, a credit union. Maybe it's a hard money lender. Maybe it's a private lender. You're going to sell your deals faster and at a premium and you're going to be doing fine. Would you agree with that? 100%. Yeah. Just understand the game of real estate, the game of business is so much fun and there are so many different iterations of it. Um, Just get in, plug in with somebody. Again, Joe, I'm just going to say you because you're right here and I know you well. In fact, I actually did that with you. I'll just a quick aside, but you may not remember this, but probably 10 years ago, um, I have, uh, you know, in my market, I, I have a guy that I really want to help and, and he was good on the ground, oh, right? I remember that. Um, yeah. And, and I, I invested in him through you to have you teach him the stuff that I could have taught him, but you have a better system. So I'm saving myself time. And Joe, I'll, I'll just tell you, cause I don't, I don't have to tell you his name. Um, we, I did probably, f- uh, 15 deals with him from that start point, which was about 2011 to probably 2015. And he rolled them up, managed them the whole time for me. I had nothing to do with it. And we exited out, um, and it was it was well to seven figures because because we rolled the market, and he was my manager, which meant I did nothing. I just got him the money. I was thinking of that. I was thinking about that this morning as I was thinking about our interview. I was wondering how that all went. It went great, and 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 you know it was a win win all the way. And and he learned so much. Uh, and now and we still do some deals together. But you know he's built his own platform now. I mean he's like he's he's he's. Because he's he went through and learned how to put the stuff together, and I helped him, and you helped him, and and then he's just a, the guy on the ground. Um, that's awesome. Thank it's you. just that's the way you put these things together. <laughs> that's really good. All right, David, um, we're going to wrap this up here again, guys. Get David's book right now. I mean, you're crazy if you don't. It's free. Just pay four dollars shipping and handling. You'll get the real physical book to you. Go to inflationbook.com. Inflationbook. David, any final words here before we wrap up? Joe, it's always a pleasure. Um, I get a little bit ramped up on this stuff because you can tell I kind of love this, love these conversations. Because again, I'm I'm uh, as big an opportunist as anybody, and I want people to see the light of what all the turmoil and the uh, you know downcasting that's going on out there today. It's like no, no, you can't look at it that way. It's it's an opportunity, and I just want people to, to see that side of what we're talking about. Yeah, nice. Okay. Thank you again very much, David. Thank you, everybody. David, don't go anywhere. I have a question to ask you here. But thanks, guys. We'll see you later. 